0: This podcast is sponsored by Eco Physiotherapy, where their mission is to educate, empower, and rehabilitate you back to health. Without further ado, please enjoy the show. Just a quick thing before we begin today's podcast. Are unpleasant symptoms of digestion getting you down? Bloating, abdominal pain, constipation, indigestion, IBS, bowel dysfunction, SIBO, colitis. Well, we are now accepting new applications for our group physiotherapy program. To learn more, go to ecophysio.com forward slash group and submit an application and we will get in contact with you once we receive it to see if it's a good fit for our program. Welcome our welcome to our wonderful nope, nope, nope. <laughs> see? We talked about what happens when, 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 when brain fart happens, this is exactly what happens. Is there. I want to welcome back our listeners to the podcast Got this it. week <laughs> on the padca- on the podcast. Oh my goodness. This is going to be one of those days. Um, yep. In this episode, we're going to be talking about embodying joy after trauma. And my guest today is Vanya. Yeah. Vanya. Yeah. Thank you. I was like, I just correct me if I'm wrong. Okay. Which that's apparently what today is going to be. My words yeah, are not going to come out mm-hmm. the way that they're supposed to. No worries. And this is <laughs> called being human. Real. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome <laughs> to the show. Uh, let's start off with telling <laughs> us, tell us about you. Let's learn
1: a little bit more about you before we okay. dive right in. Awesome. Thank you for that. And thanks for inviting me. I'm excited to chat with you today about one of my favorite topics. So, just what brings me here is um, I always kind of struggle with where to start. It always feels like it has the most important weight. And I don't always think that's true, but depending upon where I'm at, it's how I locate myself, I guess. But I am a feminist therapist. I work predominantly with people who've experienced relational trauma or developmental trauma from their past and especially how it intersects in their parenthood. Um, but I'm also a mom myself, um, raising children who are in school age years right now. Um, and I also bring that intersection of being a feminist, um, in, in my life and and raising them. Um, yeah. And I'm also a human, you know, experiencing, uh, collective trauma as a pandemic among many other things at the same time. So yeah, I think that's kind of where I'm landing today. That's who I am.
0: Okay. Well, thank you for sharing. And I resonate with many of the
1: <laughs> you know,
0: things you have said, right? Being a parent and trying to uh, find ways, healthy ways to manage the stress of a collective pandemic uh-huh. and all of the All of the things that our nervous system has to uh, bump up against and contend with. um, And also, you know, becoming a parent and the questions, the new questions that arise when you become a parent and you start to think about your parenting, you know, style and, and how you're doing it and calling into question parts of you, which we're Mm going to dive into today. Uh, so all of that. And so that is why I'm super excited, uh, about having this conversation because, If I was thinking about these things, then I imagine that there are others who may be having questions about who they are and where are they Mm -hmm. going. Um, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't describe it necessarily like a midlife crisis, but who knows, who knows? It was definitely Mm -hmm. like a transitional crisis going from (laughs) not being a parent to a parent, Uh,
1: So I imagine that I cannot be the only one. Yeah. Even as you say that, I just want to bring in one of my new favorite words that I learned, again, in real time, as I was also transitioning into parenthood. And so I love rites of passage. And there are only few real pivotal rites of passage in our lifetime. And one is becoming a parent. And I'm saying parent um, because I think it's important to be inclusive. I, I myself identify as a mother. Um, But I also think this is a huge rite of passage for all of us. And I think we're also experiencing this rite of passage in a different way. um, That's more inclusive to all of us in the family, not just um, being a mother to our children, but being a dad or, you know, what our children's roles are as well in this relationship that we have together. So I love this word matrescence, which is this adjustment period into motherhood or into parenthood and it was coined you know decades ago but it's coming back for good reason because it's that messy hormonal body change transition it's similar to adolescence right and so just thinking about those early months and years of becoming a mom or a parent it's it's messy and i think we're not you know we're not given credit and that's why everything feels like we're supposed to know i'm putting air quotes there we're supposed to know what to do because we're meant to be mothers and I don't know if I can swear here, but. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. That's bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> you know, right? We're not supposed to know, but we've been taught that. And so now we're faced with this messy um, internalization around like, if I'm not mothering as well as others are, what does that mean? And, yeah. you know, we, that brings in some shame and hard feelings. So, yeah. I
0: totally um, can relate to this idea of like, you know, should I be doing it this way or that way? Yeah. Right. Um, we have access, you know, in the beginning, you know, when I think back to like my parents, like they only sort of had access to information in a particular way. Yeah. Now we have access to so much information. Exactly. That I also feel has created a disconnect from our own body, our own intuition. Like, now, mm-hmm. it's, you know, there's so much information, there's so many experts. And like, I think it's yeah. a- amazing that we have access to this kind of information, because before you only had what you only knew yeah, what yeah. was sort of close to you versus, you totally. know, having access to other things. But also mm-hmm. there's like a double edged sword to having access to so much. And like, at what point do you go with your own intuition, right? So there's this, you know, there's this yep. kind of Battle between, you know, am I doing it right? That's, uh, it, you know,
1: that's it. Yeah. And I, I love that reminder too. You know, I'm a child of the 70s and I don't think my parents had any books about parenthood and not because they didn't care. They just didn't exist. Like we know so much more now about human development, child development, all these terms. I have stacks of books over there. And obviously, I'm invested as a therapist who does this work, but I'm also invested as a human because I want to kind of break this intergenerational learning or you know the way thing the old paradigm of the way we were parented but I also know most parents even of our own parents did their best most of the time obviously I can't be universal in that statement but I think sometimes my best one day is going to be different than others and now I have more skills and resources but also pressure right? That now I know this and my parents didn't. And whenever something happens in real life, cause I'm a human before I'm a therapist, you know, I'm a human and then a mother and then a therapist. So I have to be kind to myself, right? That sometimes my humanity will show up in a messy way. Thank you, nervous system Yes, totally. (laughs) Yes, that's it. (laughs) Because,
0: you know, when, when something happens and our, you know, our nervous system (laughs) shifts, you know, we go into reaction and that's just, we don't have access to our higher thinking faculties. And it's only once the dust settles that we look back and you're like, I could have handled that differently. Right. But then that's where like the, guilt and the shame and the, you know, not uh, non-self-compassion sometimes comes in when we really That's beat it. ourselves up about that. And <sighs> I feel like there's got to be a better way to this.
1: Right. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I agree. And and there is a better way, but like you just said, it takes learning and patience, but it also takes more than just the professional supports we have. It takes another kind of community that's more integral in our everyday life and more peer-based, right? So that it's not just like the experts that tell us what to do, whether it's, you know, the, the books that I'm pointing to, or, you know, the professionals we pay money to. It's like that village, you know, the village doesn't matter unless I feel like I belong, which is a really big part of, of our kind of our our, our our meaning in life right is knowing that we belong even if we're different like i want to be unique but also know that i belong so i w- i want my community to know that this is how i parent and they accept me for that but instead of making me feel under pressure to change
0: yeah yeah so i want to talk a little bit uh you know i want to kind of loop back to the beginning and maybe talk a little bit cuz we're you know we're talking about embodying joy after ah. trauma i mean we're going to be right. talking about how this may show up as it intersects with parenthood and, and how we as parents who may have experienced trauma, you know, sort of work through these pieces. But I feel like it would probably be helpful from a contextual perspective to maybe, um, if you could position what trauma means to Hmm. you or the context or the lens through which you're Vi- envisioning trauma because there's so many definitions, so I feel like yep. it's helpful to yep. build that context.
1: Yeah, that's a great question, and I think that's important to start there. You're right. So there are different definitions, but the one that I think that's um, um, not, not easy but simple just to hold on to is something that is too much, too big, too quick too fast on a person's body right in person's kind of nervous system and being and also that we're left alone with it why we don't have this empathetic witness like Peter Levine says right that reminder not only is it too much I'm also alone with it and I myself may not even realize but I'm felt with this I'm left feeling this and so for me it's it doesn't matter what anyone else thinks of it if they say, oh, that couldn't have been traumatic, because I also work with birth trauma. So one thing I think is really important is only the person who gave birth can define if it was traumatic or not, because other people may have a different experience or it wouldn't have been too much for them or they had support immediately, right? So it's similar to those words of stress and stressor. You know, like I may not feel stressed even though things are overwhelming for other people, but it's the embodiment of feeling overwhelmed. So trauma is that, Um, impact on us where we can't see past that lens of trauma either. I didn't mention this before, but I'm also trained somatically as a therapist. So I identify as a somatic therapist. So trauma is um, where it gets stored in our body and stays there, right? And so it impacts our life moving forward. And so even though it seems too much too fast to bear at the time, it also lingers and kind of informs how we live our life after. And our health, Right. And our health, absolutely. Yeah. Yep, absolutely. All those facets of health, for sure. Yeah,
0: yeah. I, I I resonate with um with what you have said in terms of mm. the context. I mean, you know, I'm also a somatic therapist in training. Yeah. Uh, so you know, we're speaking. So I, you know, mm-hmm. I obviously resonate yeah. because you know we're speaking the same yeah. same yeah. same language, uh, same yeah. sort of you know um kind of leaders and pioneers in this sort of um, work. But yeah, I mean, this is, and and this is something, you know, that I myself have to sometimes step back and be like, okay, just, Mm. you know, maybe in my mind, that seems like it would have been traumatic for me, but being careful to, you know, not necessarily assume that that is the case. Um, And it's so interesting because we, you know, we talk about this in physiotherapy in a slightly different Mm -hmm. context, where somebody who has, for example, stage one endometriosis may have no, uh, may have a tremendous amount of pain, whereas Mm -hmm. somebody with stage four endometriosis may have no pain at all. And so even with our diagnostics, right? Like, For example, you might have somebody who gets an MRI of their back and there's a small disc bulge, whereas another person gets an MRI and has multiple severe disc bulges. One has pain and the other person who you would assume, oh, my God, like, look at the spine, you know, they must be in pain and they're not. So so I feel like this is where we have to be careful. Mm -hmm. um, In really understanding what is the person experiencing what is their felt experience versus what we think they should be or should not be feeling etc yeah
1: I love that and it makes me remember this book that came out this year with Bruce Perry and Oprah what happened to you oh right I'm like just in the midst of finishing it it is so mind-blowing for me yeah and, and I love that reframe, right? So, you know, I, even though I'm a trauma therapist, not all of us are trauma-informed. And I think every human needs to be more trauma-informed. So even that question, right? Not what's wrong with you, but like what's, what happened to you, right? And they define um, trauma as the event, right? And then like the experience of it, but also the, um, the effect on someone, right? So two people can have a similar um, event happen, but their experience is gonna be different. So what you just described is really important. And I also think, I don't always love these ways of holding it because I think it minimizes it, but the big T trauma and the small T trauma, they're still trauma, right? And so a trauma could be um, the loss of a pet, right? The trauma could be um, moving when we had a community, right? No one else gets to define if it's a capital T really, or a small T, but yet Mm. if we're human, we've experienced trauma. Right. We just associate that word, we couple that word with the big stuff. Yeah. Right. And so just noticing this pandemic, right? It is a form of collective trauma because it was too much for all of our nervous systems and bodies. Right. And for some of us, it was too fast. Right. And so just noticing that. Yeah. Yeah. So I think the other part for me um, around these forms of trauma is that we might heal an older wound that happened, but we are human. So we're going to still experience new forms of trauma potentially. Right. And so part of my work is helping people learn the skills and resources. So they're not re-traumatized, right. Or that they have more tools to not feel as impacted, right. That there's more maybe resilience when they're um, up against some adversity.
0: Absolutely. So I want to talk about now, contextualizing healing before we dive in right because again healing in and of itself oh also has a whole bunch of you know um things attached to it in the sense of like is healing about identifying the problem and then like getting rid of the problem solving the problem like what you know so in your contextualization or the way that you think about healing you know what does that look like or how do you kind of see that process
1: yeah yeah it's a good question it is a process so as you said right it's not something that is quick unfortunately um especially as a talk therapist it's not a quick fix right it takes sometimes you know a a bunch of sessions just to feel safe with a new person so we can't heal if we don't feel safe enough i can't guarantee anyone's safety so as as a white cisgendered therapist i have all sorts of power And I I know that, and then as a feminist therapist, it's something that I intentionally work on and acknowledge. And yet part of that foundation of healing is starting to learn that I can trust other humans, but also myself, right? Um, You were mentioning intuition before. So I think that's a large part of it. I think, um, especially for me as a woman, I think our intuition was taken from us generations past. And now we're starting to come back to it. Like my body's telling me something and I'm listening to it now. So I love somatic work right? Like that's what it means to have embodiment and bodyfulness, like listening to what it's saying and going, Oh yeah, there's wisdom there, not disregarding it and bypassing it. So healing is listening to myself and knowing that I have wisdom and worthiness, but also because we're social creatures, right? Our beautiful nervous system has the social engagement system at its core and healing means being safe enough with other humans, at least one other, or Venturing out into the world and doing these things we love, so it's a reclamation, and I love that word, right? It's reclaiming more of me, so that that trauma lens that maybe um, was a bit of a veil that kept me stuck is now lessening or going away. And it's and it's also noticing, you know, trauma lives in that brain stem, like in our our reptilian old brain, right? And so healing is in that beautiful prefrontal cortex that only humans really get to experience. So it's just noticing that. I really love these things called the pillars of well being. And so it's like you mentioned before about health, right? How um, trauma impacts our overall health. And so we look at things like not just our physical health, because trauma definitely plays a, troll, a toll the knife Freudian slip. I love that. I just said troll, but it does, it trolls our body, <laughs> but it also impacts our spiritual health and our, our mental capacity and our social connections, but also our hobbies and our passions. Right. And so that's why I think it's really important to work on embodying joy and reclaiming that, that that's possible and incremental steps in ways that feel a little bit more possible than before. So it's that journey. I also really love the concept of, um, post-traumatic growth. Um, now I'm forgetting, I don't want to, I should give credit to these two people that put it together, but I first learned it from Lisa Ferenz and it's this beautiful journey that takes stages. Um, but it's also something that we can really notice that there is healing that can happen after experiencing trauma. Right. So yeah, it's that transformation. I am. Um.
0: I was extremely moved yesterday. Mm. Uh-huh. So, uh, you know, we were watching, we we had the pleasure of um, <laughs> seeing Dr. Peter Levine in action oh. yesterday. And mm. honestly, like I cried.
1: I yeah, was- me too. Me too. Uh, My partner came in and I was like, sorry, don't look at me right now. I'm having a moment.
0: <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. So um, witnessing, mm-hmm. you know, The shifting of the nervous system really hit me. Um, and the other part that really was so profoundly beautiful and simple and simple was the I'm coming home, Mm -hmm. finally coming home. Yeah, like, oh, there was this like softening within my body and within my being, and it was just like.
1: Oh, yeah, I love that. Yeah, I love right. that. And yeah, and as you say that, like, I'm seeing you do it. And I'm remembering that from yesterday as well. But I'm also like, that is such a gift as a as a human witnessing that like I just came home. I love when I see people have light bulbs go off. And I'm not the therapist isn't doing the work the human is right who I'm supporting. And I that's what I love that transformation, right? And being there to hold, um, and just hold space and be present there. Oh, it's magical. And and I think as you talked about it, um, I'm coming home. It reminds me of this other beautiful modality I use, um, internal family systems and, and what we also now call parts work, which is kind of somatic therapy mixed in with internal family systems. And it's this beautiful way of like coming back to self, right? Like the part of me that was hurt by someone else may have been turned into what we call an exile or you know these protector parts and so part of the work in healing is starting to come home to ourself with a capital s as opposed to those parts that take over and think they're trying to help us because they want to protect us from any further harm and that's what triggers are that's what flashbacks are they're taking us back in time Yeah. But it's now moving forward into the present and coming into the self mode. That's compassionate and clear and curious. Right. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Can
1: Mm -hmm. you, um, just because you brought it up and I feel like probably people
0: won't know, but can you just briefly speak to internal family systems? Like what is, uh, what is that?
1: Yeah, very briefly, because so I can just like go on about it. But so Richard Schwartz, um, white American therapist, uh, came up with it after doing some of his own work as a therapist. And um, a lot of the work that he did was with eating disorders and really trying to help people figure out like how to heal from their um, their body image and um, their eating disorders. And what he realized was that there are these parts of us that get created as a way of protecting us in a, in a moment. And I'm not gonna do this justice, justice, but there are our manager parts that take over as prevention. Like, hey, I think this is gonna remind me of that old time that you got hurt. So let me just take over. And I'm actually, I intentionally make my voice sound a little bit different. and My body language is really different. Like I'm gonna be bossy. Like my manager, she's got glasses. I think she has a, a blouse that's tucked in, right? Like, <laughs> She's like my old manager. Um, And then there's a firefighter that comes in after that like wreaks havoc, but is putting out the flames. So it's a reaction. But a lot of us also have exiles that are the wounded parts that are kind of separated from the rest of the team. But when a wound happens in the present that reminds us of the past, they also take over because they're so scared. Right. And so part of internal family systems is starting to have dialogue and connect the parts and also the person to notice like this is maybe not me doing this. It's a part of me that is reminded of a past event, which is really helpful in in working with parents who've experienced trauma in their past. Yeah. So like it's a little bit different than inner child work, but it's also that. So that's a big part of what my work is, is helping people heal their inner child, but also remother or have an inner mother reparenting themselves. Interesting. I,
0: I, mm-hmm. I, yeah, I like, I like kind of concepts of that because I mean, I've done it, um, like inner child work, but mm-hmm. then I also think about the parts of me that were wounded, not as a child.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, yeah.
0: And I really actually resonate with the exile piece because, and then I, and I've shared this and we'll be sharing this mm-hmm. publicly and I'll share it publicly now. Um, you know, there, after the birth of my daughter, you know, it really became apparent that there was, well, it it started out, so this is how it started for me, and this explains my somatic journey, but I literally thought there was something wrong with me. I was like, there's something seriously wrong with you, and there's something so wrong with you that you don't even know what's wrong with like there. And I, and I even said, you know, I I literally like went to my therapist and I was like, there's something seriously wrong with me. I don't Hmm. know what my trauma is, but it's gotta be either. I've blocked this trauma out or there is like, but there's something seriously wrong with me. And like, I need to Hmm. find it and get rid of it. Like that was, that was like like coming in from a like, let's just extract these pieces yeah. because I don't want them. Right. And of course, that's not how that works. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's not how that, you know? Right. Um, I can, you know, I laugh about it now because, you know, it was in that process of um, my therapist, you know, and like, I, you know, God bless her. Um, cause I would come in with these research, uh, like, because I'm so interested yep. in neuroscience, I'd be like polyvagal theory and like yep. theories and I'd come in and yep. be like, okay, so my research has shown blah, blah, yep. blah. So this must be what's wrong with me. Let's work on that. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Just, she went with it. You know, she, yep. she knew yep. what I was going to come in very logical brain. Yep. And I think she very, carefully and diligently guided me back to my body.
1: Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Right
0: because I was so rational and so intellectual and so analytical yep. like let's just look at the research and like you know like yep. math you know we'll just do it like math right? Yep. And um mm. so she very gently guided me to you know not be in that realm because wow. It was in my body and it is yep. in my body and it's being expressed through my nervous That's system, which I it. cannot control rationally. So, yep. you know, how do I heal the parts of myself? Not by getting rid of and extracting, but integrating and letting my stress cycles complete and the, you know, trauma to, you know, work itself through That's so it. I can integrate myself back home.
1: Yep. Yep. And, and, I I think, sorry, you said so much, right? So thank you for sharing that. (laughs) But that word integrate really stood out for me, right? Just noticing too, what we're talking about, like different than a dentist, we can't just extract the tooth that's causing havoc or causing pain, right? And yet that like you, as you asked that question, right? I think this is why this feels like a bit of a different journey and, you know, therapy is alchemy. I love this, like what happens organically? Like I don't have any agenda when someone comes to me. I just know what our goals are. So that I can kind of have a sense that I'm in the supported, supportive realm they want me to be. But when people come to me with their logical brain, right, that's also a part of them—that manager part—that's trying to protect them, but also has amazing wealth of information that's available to you, right? But also, it's a stage of th- trauma therapy. So I'm wondering, can I maybe share that a little bit more about that integration of sure. stages yes, of trauma? Yes. Um, so Judith Herman came up with this state, these three stages of trauma healing as trauma resolution work, you know, again, decades ago. And it's been changed a little bit to be more um, adaptive with what's happening now and like all the learnings we have. But the first stage is stabilization. It's like crisis support. So for about 20 years of my career I worked in the shelter system here in Toronto um, and I worked frontline and so a lot of the work we did was very much crisis support and stabilizing the person's body and daily needs to help them feel safe enough having left or thinking about leaving an abusive situation right and so sometimes that can take sometimes a few sessions depending upon where they're at or months And trauma-informed therapy means I don't re-traumatize someone. So I have to wait for them to be feeling safe enough to be stable, right? And yet there is this old belief that we're supposed to talk about the story in order to heal it. And that's not necessarily true. So that second stage of healing is more direct trauma healing work. It's what people used to call or Judith Miller or Judith Herman would talk about Um, remembering or mourning. And now we're noticing, I don't always have to mourn the old story to heal it. What I have to notice is how it's impacting me now, right? So as you talked about the birth of your daughter, right? In some ways that it lingers, right? How these old things come up, right? And again, our body and our brain is, are magical. They're amazing. They intentionally put some of those stories in the in the basements of our mind, right? And Peter Levine talks about memory work, which I really love. Like we store it in different places in our mind, but then it comes back because something just, the light was just shone on it, right? And so part of that second stage of healing, sometimes people leave after the first stage because they feel safe enough and they don't get to this stage of actually healing how it impacts them now. And that's one of my favorite parts because when they get through that stage, that's the integration that's when they're like, okay, I'm a person who experienced a, a trauma. And I'm also these other parts of me, right? And I'm, I don't mean IFS right now. I just mean like, I'm a mom, my, my roles, right? I'm someone who wants pleasure. Um, I love to go hiking in nature. And now I get to do these things because I've integrated that part and it's not taking over the rest of me. Right? But that's why it's a journey. That's why it takes time right? And I think we work so hard to be productive. So we're very much in our logical brains as humans. I think this pandemic kind of highlighted where if I can just say like, fuck productivity, like kind of done being productive. I want to rest and have pleasure, but that means I have to give myself permission or access to rest and play. And that's where healing happens, not being productive because it just keeps us in the one part of our brain. And that's what's that's how we're socialized to be worthy right is to be productive and busy and so now we're really confronting that right so just gonna pause I don't know. that's a lot <laughs> i was gonna say what's the third yeah oh the third is integration oh the okay third, but yeah the third is the integration but but yeah that's kind of where the magic happens but it's where we start to remember who was I before the trauma? And for some people the trauma happened in their developmental young ages, but now who am I in spite of? Who am I also? What do I like? Maybe what, what can I access now? And I never thought I could, you know, can I join a choir? You know, can I paint? Can I date? Can I enjoy sex? Like what can I do now that I've integrated this part of me? It's not taking over. That's the third stage.
0: So let's talk a little bit about embodying joy and mm. and, and pleasure. Mm.
1: <laughs> yeah. So rein me in because this is one of my favorite topics right now.
0: Uh, I worry about all the other questions I was going to yeah. ask because this is just flowing yeah. the way that it needs to. So yeah, I'm is. just totally. like I'm just ignoring the questions and I'm just like yeah. you can see well. The people listening can't see this, but I'm all like leaned in. I'm like,
1: okay, don't. (laughs) Totally. So I I literally think joy is our birthright, right? Like having joy is so important because that's kind of how we live our life with meaning and live a full life, right? And so, you know, I think because we just saw Peter this weekend, um, I'm really, I've always loved that word vitality, but just like my full life. Ryan, right? that's that reminder, right? I'm here to live my life fully, but also have vitality, right? And have a live, liveliness in my life. Um, and so just noticing pleasure doesn't have to be, again, one of those things we couple with sex. Pleasure literally is, what can I do? Like this morning, I had um, a granola for breakfast that my partner makes and it's yummy on its own, but what can I do to add it? add more pleasure to it. What's something I can add 5% more pleasure to it. So I add the berries and my vegan y- yogurt, right? I always add a little bit of flaxseed or something, but like, how do I make this moment more enjoyable? And what I also do is like not have my phone. I sit and look outside the window. I pause and sit in the moment. So part of joy and pleasure is being in the moment and noticing like, is this the good moment? What can I do to make it even better? Right? So it's it's having that capacity to know that that's possible and I deserve it, right? So it's like coming home to my pleasure, coming home to myself and knowing that. So that's just like one of the things I think that's important, right? Is noticing what's something I can do that's tangible, doable every day. Like I don't have joy all day long, right? But I have it every day, right? And I think this past year and a half or more, it's been really crucial. Like play, if I can bring in that word, That's also another beautiful way of reducing stress in our body. And for a lot of people who've experienced trauma, especially relational or childhood based trauma, play went out the window, right? Like people who were parentified. Yeah. 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 And so play now might look a little bit different, but it's really about kind of figuring out who who I am with play, what feels safe enough, but also what feels risky. I love, I think it's Tara Brock's coin, this term, um, ex- exquisite risk. Like, let me find something that's just like exquisite in its risk, just to kind of really enjoy this moment, right? Of play and just having my body be like, ah, oh, this is fun. I'm smiling and laughing and my my body's soft. You said that word. It's one of my favorites. How do I soften here? It's yeah. so
0: lovely. I mean, you know, if it wasn't like the, the somatic work has just been so transformational mm. for me. And it's like a work, it's like, I'm, I am a work in progress.
1: Mm-hmm. And,
0: um, you know, one of the things that I do that I like to do every morning is like, I will couple, um, orientation mm-hmm. when I'm orienting, I'm orienting to something pleasurable. Yes. There you go. Yeah right? Like I, you know, in the summertime, I will go outside of my backyard yep. and I will look at the different trees and maybe a bird mm. lands or, you know, there's like singing. So I will like scan the environment and, and I'll ask myself the question, what's pleasurable to you today? Mm. Yay. Perfect. And then I'll do my grounding. So rocking yep. on the heels and feeling my feet, Yay. you know, going, mm. to the, you know, into the ground so that I can actually like be present in the particular before starting to rush off onto my day, but it's it's something that I you know I'm I'm old school. I have one of those um, handwritten agendas, and yeah, me it, too. Oh yeah, I, I can't help it. Like the whole calendar thing, I just yeah. can't <laughs> visualize what I'm doing. Yeah, like a big screen. Anyways, um, and there's something about handwriting. Yes, I I there's <laughs> something about the way my mm-hmm. brain works with um yep. written notes but in it i have um there's like a list of habits and you know um mm-hmm. i you know will check things off because if i don't put a list of habits you know and yep. track, then i'm i'm less likely a to remember and less likely to actually do it um, yeah. but i do recognize the importance of um getting
1: into the present moment beautiful That really resonates with me. And I think as you were talking, right, it made me think about our senses, right? Using our five senses to help us find pleasure, right? So I really love that reminder of orienting to the present moment and the space. But also, as you said, what makes us feel the embodiment of it is bringing it into our body, right? So that interoception, which is like, now I feel my, so I'm looking at my favorite color, turquoise blue, but I'm actually feeling it in my body because a part of my brain has learned to remember My favorite body of water, that's exact same color and being in that water. So all those happy place meditations are good and good on their own, but they're even better when I can feel my body relate to them. So having that beautiful dance of neuroception, that back and forth kind of connecting. So one thing I work with when I'm supporting people on how to find pleasure in their bodies is to have experiments with these five senses right? So, you know, maybe buying flowers. Is that your jam? Maybe not. Maybe it's playing music during the day or a certain time of day, right? Maybe it's putting on a diffuser and having that beautiful smell, right? And finding the right one for you, right? But like, that's a great way of just integrating um, the practice, right? Like you said, and having it written down, right? Like this is speaking to our logical brain that also helps us feel safe. And that's that manager part that's just like, let me make sure I'm following my list, right? There's nothing wrong with that right? We're up against a lot of pressure, right? And we don't have to do it perfectly. You know, I kind of love that reminder, like done is better than perfect. Let me just try. I deserve that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting, because orienting to pleasure Mm. takes consciousness.
1: Yeah, that's fair.
0: Absolutely. Because right? I think, yeah. you know, there is the negativity bias and it's really easy yeah. to get yeah. swept up by the negativity bias. Right. Like yeah. you just see a yep. headline and you're automatically, boom, you got it, you know, orientated yep. to the negative. And so mm-hmm. I feel like the, you know, orienting to pleasure is a muscle that needs to be built and sort of we need to consciously yep. be you know, looking for that otherwise. And I love that like pendulation that we were talking about, right? That it's not good to just be in the fluffy all the time because there are things happening that need acknowledgement. Yep. Um, But then being in the negativity all the time, nobody likes that. Yeah, exactly. And so it's being able to learn to be with both.
1: Yes, yep. I love that and as you say that i love that reminder like how can i be with both and right not either or and i think sometimes it's that bridge right so one thing i've learned about the negativity bias it takes five positive statements or observations to balance that one negative so you know if anyone were to see my fingers right now it's like that hug it's not one-to-one that's not enough right but that negativity bias is our body's way of trying to keep us safe right? And, and that's ancient, right? It's not just us, right? We just have a word for it now that maybe, um, you know, our parents didn't, right? And so I look at a bridge more neutral than going right over to positive because that doesn't feel authentic or available. And again, right? There's privilege to be able to say, you know, go do, go do those beautiful fluffy things, right? Sometimes it's not, it's not enough or it's not where our capacity is. Yeah. So just a little bit more, right? Like what's one thing I can do. And that's why I love the simplicity of a gratitude journal or a gratitude practice. Something I did a lot when my kids were little is every week, just reflecting on things that they loved about the week. And then we would write the note down and put it in a jar. And then on New Year's day, the next year we'd go through some of those highlights. Right. And then we started doing it, especially in the pandemic, where I would ask them one thing they loved about the day. And to be honest, some days were really hard. <laughs>
0: Right, took a lot of effort to find that one positive. Yeah, yeah. Like I had a shower today. That was the best thing I did. (laughs)
1: Totally, totally. Yeah, and that's why some days are better is gonna be different than others, right? But that bridge is what helps us um, build. You know, neuroplasticity is an amazing gift we have now in brain research, right? Like our brain is malleable; it can change, right? It's not permanent. So you know, I can do things to be better than I was before which is like amazing, you know, because,
0: you know, as a, as a parent, you know, who, Mm -hmm. you know, recognizes also transgenerational trauma, understands that, you know, the way, you know, like the way my grandparents lived translates to how they parented and how my mom lived right. Translates to me and therefore how I live will translate forward. Right. And so, you know, I I try not to get too, um, sometimes I'll get too, a little too swept up in the, um, so I'm a recovering perfectionist. So, um, you know, wanting to get it all right and not, Mm -hmm. you know, not hand down something. Um, Mm -hmm. so I, I, try to soften around my humanness, um, right you know, around that piece. But I I think it's really helpful for me to know that, like, I'm working on it and working on it means that there's a better chance than not working on it and that I can change and that they Mm -hmm. can change. And, you know, we know, and again, we know so much more now than we did before about different, you know, parenting and and Mm -hmm. neurobiology neurophysiology um yeah but yeah it's good to know that like it doesn't have to feel this way all the time it doesn't have to be this way all the time and that when things are hard there's still pleasure like pleasure is Mm. you know it's right there that's right and I I don't remember when exactly we talked. They talked about this over the weekend, but it was mm. like, it's right there. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah.
1: We need to just we need to have a shift in perspective. Right, for sure. Yeah, and even as you know, your hand goes up. What I love about somatic work is like when, um, one of my favorite practices is like, just as I said this weekend, like just touching my body and saying, this is my body, right? This is my arm, but also starting to appreciate, like if my arms are what carry my baby and some days are harder than others, then I'm going to have to have that practice of self-love or self-compassion to thank my arms for doing, doing something today, right? Carrying baby or carrying groceries, you know, doing cleaning, whatever it is. So just adding that beautiful practice of, um, gratitude. And so that it, is also linked to pleasure, right? So it's not giving me self-pleasure per se, and yet that practice is rewarding me for hard work. And it's also noticing that I need to see myself if I want others to see me, right? I think it's really important to shift, like as we talked about intergenerational learning, about parenting and mothering, that shift from being a martyr to being a model, right? And so like, I want to model for my children how I take care of me as much as I want to be there for them neither is more important but I think we've also been taught that we have to give to our kids and then whatever's left over we have to give to us and so when I'm taking care of myself that's also what they see they watch right they may not always make contact with it but they're seeing me do it so modeling that care is really important and that's I think how we can move forward um, in our generations right when our kids become parents right so just learning about epigenetics or, or, you know, the egg that made us was first created in our grandmothers. So now that we have children, I'm like, holy, my goodness. Right. Yeah. Talk about pressure and these things we now know. Right. And, and I think one gift that's so important for me is I might have a rupture. There might be something that happens. I might yell or forget something that my kids wanted me to do, but I'm working on the repair because I think that's also a new paradigm, right? Of like saying sorry and let you matter. And I made a mistake and I'm going to work on it. Right. So that is important. Yeah. I, and and I
0: think it was, you know, Peter talking about that as well. Like, mm. you know, when something comes out and and there's misattunement. Yes. Right. Yes, That we yes. acknowledge, uh, I didn't intend for it to come out that way. Right. Because again, the nervous system right and how things are bouncing around in our brain you know we're not always conscious like there's sometimes it's happening so fast in our mind it comes out and then you're like oh that did not sound the way I wanted it to sound or right not the intent behind like behind the thing right and it was interesting Mm -hmm. because he was you know talking about how it can be scary to acknowledge and and you know, apologize. And especially, you know, in the context of a therapeutic relationship, right. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. because him as the therapist, like things yep. it's like, but it's that noticing yeah, that there was a reaction in somebody else that may have been unpleasant and saying, oh, you know what, maybe I said something that wasn't, uh, wasn't felt right for you. Um, yeah. I, you know, that was not my intent. And, you know, okay. I think, that's a practice in and of itself.
1: Right. It's, it's, yeah. it's hard. It's really hard. hard. Yeah. And, and I think as you were talking about that, like that misattunement, we also start to pick up on that. Like that's that body language, right. That's pre-verbal. Right. So then we start to notice, right. Or if even, even for me, I think one thing that's really helpful in supporting parents um, to um, in their journey, if they've experienced some type of trauma is what triggers you. So if you're talking to your child and they don't acknowledge you, Sometimes that can feel really hurtful. Right. But their intent isn't to ignore us. They're just really into the thing they're doing. Right. So then we have to start to track, like, when do I get provoked? What's happening? Right. So never to blame anyone else necessarily, but to help us kind of discern what's going on. Mm. Right. What do I need? What are my needs that are also pre-existing before I go to my child? Right. And, and asking them to like come to dinner or whatever it is. So it's that, that misattunement sometimes happens even before we have that interaction with the other person. Right. That, that kind of is interesting. Right. Noticing that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So holding that. Yeah. And so it, it makes me think of, um, you know these various attachment styles, but I feel like you know we've we've covered so much today. Yeah, but yeah
0: well, probably gonna have to like yeah. save that yeah. for another time. Like I said, there was a whole other list. Yeah, that was, there's a so whole just, list like, swapped aside.
1: Awesome. As- love it
0: um you know the conversation needed to unfold in the way that it needed to unfold so obviously part two well we can you know (laughs) try a little bit more you know polyvagal and Ah. and attachment styles because that stuff you know um just really i mean you know going back to oprah's book taught you know really understanding the attachment styles and understanding how that can manifest was just i'm like wow Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. okay more, yeah. from the, more from the perspective, again, self-compassion, self-kindness, um, yeah. you know, to understand, you know, we, we're just, we're not taught about this. And so it's yeah. so hard to know That's why it. we behave the way we do, right? It's not yeah. what's wrong with you. It's what happened to you. That's it. And I love that reframe. It's yeah. just, yeah, definitely yeah. one of those books that is like,
1: yeah, a must I agree
0: for everybody, really. I agree.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. I do think it should be for everybody. Right. It's like, you know, things that they should read in high school, right. Or even younger, right. As we're thinking about generational change. Right. And yeah, that transformation, right. Not just us as individuals, but collectively. Yeah. So like,
0: that is the, like, I feel like that is where things need, like, you know, my, my whole big thing is, you know, body intelligence, body Mm -hmm. literacy, learning, what's showing up and how it's showing up for you in the body, because that informs so much of what happens. It informs so Mm -hmm. much of our decisions, our interactions. And I feel like if we, you know, we had systems in place and it's about coming back to some of the old ways, because there was wisdom in it. Mm -hmm. We just didn't have the science to describe. it. now we are getting the science to back up This is why these cultures had these things in place. Right. Um, and I think a big part of it is community. I I think consciousness, body intelligence, and community Mm. are going to be
1: Mm. what I, I think it's, what's needed. I agree. Yep. Yep. Those three sound like amazing pillars, right? That foundation. Right. So yeah. Yeah. That really resonates with me.
0: Well, thank you so much for taking the time to have this uh, (laughs) chat with me, which is a really great way to download everything we've learned over uh, this past weekend uh, and integrate into our wonderful prefrontal cortex and where else it's bouncing around in there. But
1: (laughs) I could jam on this
0: for I don't know
1: know how long. Yep. Yeah, I agree. I, I was starting to say, it's my pleasure. And then I giggled, but it is right. This is talking about this is my jam. So it's a form of pleasure. <laughs> Absolutely. Indeed.
0: Yeah. Like what a perfect way for me to start my, uh, start my day. So Yay. thank you again. Um, so mm-hmm. I, I will ask quickly, um, mm-hmm. so I know you, you do a one-to-one practice, but I understand your practice currently right now is full. Yeah but you yep. do have some resources and yep. some things and people can yep. find you and follow you. Um, so where yep. might they go?
1: Yep. Right now I, um, I am pretty active on um, Instagram. So it's just at Vanya underscore Socola on Instagram. I also started a newsletter over the pandemic as a way of just supporting people in a different way, especially as I have my practice is closed right now. So you can go to my website, which is vanyasekola.ca or Instagram and just sign up. My newsletter is called um, Building Your Resilience Toy Box. So it just speaks about different um, supports for your mind, body, and soul. It's not just geared to parents because I don't only work with parents, but it's a big part of my practice. Um, Yeah, so for the most part, that's kind of where I'm at. At the end of the year or early new year, I always put together a year in review for people to work on for new goals, maybe ways to introduce more pleasure in their practice. So I'm working on that right now. So I'm excited to put that out. And I was really hoping to offer some kind of workshop for parents who've experienced trauma, about kind of what we talked about today, but more practical tips and support and community. So that's in the works for maybe early new year.
0: Excellent. Well, yeah. What I'll say is everybody can
1: go to the show notes. If you want to get the
0: spelling and the links to connect, Mm. So again, thank you for uh, jamming with me. We'll definitely have to set up a part two sometime soon. (laughs) And I want to thank our listeners for joining us on a weekly basis. And this is one of those episodes that I think is extremely important for sharing purposes, just to, you know, bring awareness, you know, around the discussion of, you know, transitions and, you know, just, Understanding healing and understanding that there's a way through, because again, a lot of us don't talk about this. So, and since we're all human, we've probably experienced some form of a negative past experience. So, you know, this is relevant for everybody, Mm -hmm.
1: right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So, share the episode, subscribe to the podcast, because that way you'll be informed every week when we have a chat, right? It's all about living a better life. So, be you know, be sure to subscribe and then we'll connect with everybody, uh, on the next episode. So have yourself a wonderful day and your homework is go find something pleasurable if you can. <laughs> All right. Take care. Thank you for listening to living a better life podcast. Make sure to subscribe to our show to stay up to date with our latest and greatest episodes. We would also love to hear your comments, suggestions, and reviews. Thanks again. Until the next episode. Bye for now.